Thank you for listening to the Spare Change Podcast. Finance knows no limits. Today I discuss with Tom Brickman of The Frugal Gay all ways that he built his financial independence and early retirement, whether it's eBay, real estate, or other side hustles. Hello and welcome to the Spare Change Podcast. Today I have on Tom Brickman. Tom, I know we already discussed some things, uh, specifically talking about how you recently hit financial independence, your background in real estate, and using eBay and some other side hustles. Uh, I'd love for you to uh, introduce yourself and just kind of talk to us about how you got started in the world of financial independence and some of the things you've been doing. Definitely. Uh, my name is Tom Brickman. I go by the Frugal Gay on Instagram and Twitter and my website. Um, I am 39 years old. Uh, married dog dad from Dallas, Texas. I currently own 21 rental doors, which is why I was able to hit my my fine numbers. Um, I have a resale business called Cheap Cheap Closeout, and I buy and resell merchandise for eBay and Amazon. And I um, started the Frugal Gay about a year and a half ago, as I knew I was ready to transition out of my job and. Um, started that to network with others who were in the same boat and show others that it is possible. I worked at a movie theater for um, 15 years, so I didn't have a high paying job. Um, and I was still able to hit that number by before I turned 40. Awesome. Awesome. Um, what are, what are some of the things that kind of motivated you to take the path of you know, instead of just sticking to your nine to five, what kind of pushed you in the direction of seeking more passive income and doing some side hustles to kind of improve your financial situation? I knew if I just counted on my nine to five, I would be working at it till I was 60 plus. Um, so I just found other ways to generate income. I did eBay while I was in college because I didn't have enough to pay for books. Um, and I would flip purses. I would flip pretty much anything. Um, in addition to eBay, I just would take any extra side hustle. Like I, there were times where I'd go help clean. There were times that I would go source merchandise for resellers at the flea market. I would do yard sales with my, my, um, friends and just we came up with ways to generate that income and if I could figure out a way to make money on it I, I did it and my motivation for that was I didn't want to work till I was 70 I did not want to you know uh, working at a movie theater I work nights weekends and holidays and I knew by 29 that I wanted to hit this number before I hit, I was 40 and I just figured out a way to to buy at least one property every year to fix that property every year some of them i've sold off some of them i've traded into better properties and the majority of them are in my buy and hold long-term portfolio so um i've picked up five properties this year which i know if i were working a traditional job i definitely wouldn't have the time energy or effort to do that and um i just uh my my end goal was I don't want to do this until I'm I'm 70 and I just kept going with it and there's years that I I can make great money on eBay and there's years that I can make great money for my rentals and then there's years that 
everything I make gets poured back into the rentals to improve them, to fix them. Um, so that's kind of, you know, where I am and where I've been. And this year buying five already, um, I'm pouring every ounce of, uh, money coming in back into the properties to improve them and get them rented. And that's where I'm at with my journey. I think that's great. Definitely. I'd say it's a very unique approach to do all of the things you've done all at the same time. Um, I, I think that you're probably very capable of loading a bigger plate than some other folks that I've met. Um, what would you say, uh, just just from an outside perspective, someone who's at that age range where they're like myself, you know, 23, 24, um, or maybe even like a younger demographic, what would, what would be their, um, best practices? Like, did you start with an LLC or like, how, how did you, uh, lay the groundwork and the foundation for everything? So I started, I bought my first one at 21. Um, I was working at the Gap. I was making 850 an hour uh, while I was in college, and I didn't want to pay rent, so that was my motive. So um, I bought the first one in my name. Um, I put 10% down. I had been purchasing Gap stock um, while I worked for the company, and I cashed it all in, and I, I bought that door number one. I think the biggest thing when you're starting to lay the groundwork before you're deciding about LLC and, and whatnot is getting rid of the bad debt because I bought door one, I bought door two, it was a duplex. Um, and then I bought door number three with no plan when I was 22. And then I moved to Dallas and I was 26 or so and I wanted to buy that fourth property and they're like, we can't lend you any money of $17,000 in credit card debt. So, I took on a, a second job and went and worked retail uh, to, to get rid of that debt. And that's the key is making yourself credit worthy and getting rid of that debt because it's going to hold you down like an anchor. And the second you can fix that or pay it off, um, it just it moves you ahead. And once I got that cleared up, it took me a year of working retail to, to get rid of that 17000 um, It just kind of all proceeded and kept going and building and you know, I bought that, that one. And I guess I bought the first property I bought in Dallas was 2008. And then I just kind of stuck on at least one per year. Um, I know in 2013, I picked up three that year. Um, cause I had put out three offers and I'm like, yeah, they're not all going to be accepted at once. And all three got accepted and I just figured out where to get the money and, and, uh, make it work. Um, was a very rough month when I bought three at one time. Yeah, I, I imagine uh, getting wrapped up in a lot of debt early on can be detrimental. But when we talk about like managing um, our debt and then also um, speaking from the perspective of like a bank or a lender and they see that debt and you're working a retail position when they see that high debt to income ratio, uh, I can see where it would be a concern, but also the idea that you had already started um, utilizing money that you had invested. So when you talk about like purchasing company stock and then leveraging it to purchase properties that then build passive income, 
it it seems slightly odd, but I mean, I I have an understanding of like when someone's young and they have a high debt to income ratio, it can be a very um, strong indicator of maybe some financial risky behavior. But I don't think using company stock and the sale of company stock to purchase passive income generating assets would necessarily be the worst thing ever when when you go to that lender. So what did you do as far as managing debt? I know you spoke on like you worked in retail and you worked for a while to uh, manage that initial debt that you couldn't get uh, any additional like uh, loans or any money from a lender. What do you do now that's different than what you did then in the way of managing your debt and uh, leveraging debt to your own benefit? So for my 21 doors, I don't carry a ton of debt on them. I'm, I'm pretty um, conservative in that. And investors always are like, why would you not have loans on these? So a lot of the stuff that I bought this year, I bought in cash. I've fixed up a property, I sold it off, and I used the proceeds from that property and turned it into the five other properties. Um, some things that you can do if you don't have, like, I know when I went and worked retail, that was offered, and that's why I had that company stock. If you don't have that opportunity to buy company stock, what can you do to generate extra income? And that was always my focus, you know, when I was in debt and when I was buying these properties is what can I do to generate income? So I, I have a friend that was messaging me today and she is um, up to her eyeballs in debt. And I'm like, start cooking this weekend, start babysitting, start going and doing law and start doing whatever you have to do to make an extra hundred bucks this weekend to, to start taking yourself out. Cause that's what it's going to take. And that's kind of been my mentality since I started was okay. I'm limited with what I can make at my job, but I do have this free time. I do have this time off. What can I do to generate income during this time that's going to help me dig out quicker? And and you know what? She's at the point where she's making maybe 100 to 200 extra dollars a month, and that's doing something instead of just paying those minimum payments and, and you know, working it out over the next five years. You know, she'll be able to dig herself out within a year just throwing the extra 200 bucks on. So I think that's important because everyone wants to wait for it to be fixed for them but i've always looked at, and and i was super stressed i had just enough money to buy all three properties that i bought in 2013 but i had no money to fix any of them and there was a lot of money that had to go into them they were all distressed properties i've always bought distressed properties so i had to get creative and i had to figure out a way to start generating more income okay now i've spent all my income buying these properties now i have to figure out how to fix them and get them rented and just thinking outside the box, like, what can I do? And we didn't, you know, back then, you didn't have Uber or Lyft that you could go do for, for a weekend. So you just had to, um, I mean, I remember a time I had a cleaning lady and she's like, I have no one to come clean with me. And it's crazy that I have a cleaning lady, but I'm going and cleaning other houses with her. But I did it because it was, you know, an extra 75 bucks to go over there and help her for a couple hours and, and clean. And it was just one of those things that you had to get creative and figure out a way to, to make it work. And that's how I did it. Yeah. I think, I think it's important to highlight like a lot of the income that you were generating actively, you were, you were pushing direct into all of the other, like more passive, um, ventures. And one thing I was curious about is with, 
eBay and some of your other side hustles outside of real estate, have any of those gone from something that you were highly active in to something that's still generating you passive income today? Or was it just like to flip and build income? Um, I mean, I am not very actively buying merchandise for eBay or I, I, whenever I have time, I'll sit and I'll list and I'll process and I'll ship out, but it's pretty passive at this point where the merchandise is listed. Uh, yesterday we had seven sales that came through and I still, I'm not doing any like fulfilled by Amazon. I'm still packaging up the item and I'm, um, shipping out the item. I do sell on, on Amazon as well and I can do it as little or as much as I want. And that's, you know, this past weekend I was standing in line at, at a like a TJ Maxx and I was just scanning things with the Amazon app and then I came on this body wash and or not a body wash but a body spray and it was like three ninety nine at at TJ Maxx and it was twenty three bucks on um, Amazon and I'm like you know what I'm gonna just try this and and I bought it for four bucks at, at TJ Maxx and I listed it and I actually already sold because it was in the buy box on Amazon so it's one of those that you can do as much or as as little as you want. Um, with that and same with as my I was all self-managed and now with 21 doors I have a property manager that looks over 14 of them um, and they kind of let me know when issues arise with the properties or if something isn't getting done and I'll step in there but I've learned to take my foot off the pedal because I can't handle 21 properties all at once with different renovations going on and all that I think one of the things that um, really interests me when it comes to like business ownership and developing yourself in the business world, at some point, the amount of control that you have over all of your different uh, levels of operation has to go to somebody else because if you if you intend to grow and scale at some point, like you're talking about, you had to kind of take your foot off and let somebody else take control in those aspects. I think it's important um, not only in just work-life balance but in entrepreneurship and business ownership to have some level of understanding of this is what I feel that I'm capable of handling and these are the things that I should be able to outsource to other people that way it can continue to operate as intended Um, and I think a lot of people get caught up in the idea of like oh self-made 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 when in reality I don't think the true intention of any business is to be entirely in control of everything. Um, When people get that first inkling of like, oh, I can really generate income this way, they don't think of the idea of, okay, now what if I turn the keys over to somebody and now I'm still the owner, but I'm not so much like daily operations. and I think it's important to not overwork yourself, build something that works, uh, create the model for it, and then allow other people to succeed under your leadership. I think that's incredible the way that you've done that for yourself, and I think it's important for other people to hear. As far as experiences that you've dealt with as not only, um, like you've built your brand on social media, have you seen like a direct impact or influence based on what you've done online in your other work. Like I, I'm not sure if I phrase that in the best way, but like 
I started the Frugal Gay just as a social media account. I popped up a website earlier this year, so I'm about a year and a half into this, and um, my online presence has continued to grow on Twitter. Um, yesterday, I logged into Instagram, and I'm like, what happened? And I, I got a retweet from um, Bigger Pockets, and I just had like a flood of, of new followers yesterday. Um, so am I seeing an impact? Definitely, as I get the word out, as I talk to others, I'm doing coaching now through the Frugal Gay, and that can be draining, and that's also where I'm getting to, you know, I'm gonna have to have someone who is responding to tweets or, or doing that kind of automation for me, because uh, when I was done with my seven sessions yesterday, I was like drained, and it was, uh, I didn't finish till like 9.30 last night, and I can't do it all. So. Um, right now, my, my foot is on the pedal of the Frugal Gay. That's why I started it up, because I knew that I was going to transition away from a job. Um, I do as much, you know, I usually, like Saturdays or Sundays, I'll spend a couple hours working on either listing stuff on eBay, or there's points where you can tell something's not going to sell, and you just, I, I'll put it in the bundle and, and sell it off as a, a lot. So just to kind of keep the merchandise coming and going. And, um, the rentals, I mean, just today, I have projects going in two states. I'm in Texas and Ohio, and um, I'm getting updates from contractors and what they're doing, and I've got a house being painted up in Ohio, and I've got um, a deck being put in on one of the properties in Texas. So I've got my I, fingers in, but I'm not all the way, you know, the, the houses are kind of running. I, I have really good teams in both states that take care of them. Um, the eBay is as much or as little as I'd like. And then the Frugal Gay is the new venture. And that is, I'm shifting that by the end of the year. And I keep getting, I, I sometimes get inundated as the account grows with the DMs that I get per day. And I am the type that have a guilt if I haven't responded to everyone. Uh, so I'll sit and try and respond to those, but I'm going to try and get to where I can automate some of that. So definitely curious as far as, did you expect to have the same amount of like drive and workload? Like, did you expect to have the same amount of work to do consistently? Or did you know at some point that you were going to be able to like kind of push away from some of the things you had started early? I had to get used to pushing it away from the things that I started early and get comfortable with it and, you know, have a little faith in the systems that I've set up in place to be able to do that because um, I was in a spot where I like to try and do everything. And like you just said, you can't grow if you are, you know, trying to do everything with Frugal Gate, trying to do everything with Cheap Cheap, trying to do everything with the rentals. So, um, it was a mind shift to get to where I am right now. Um, did I know that real estate and cheap, cheap would eventually retire me? Um, no, but I used that because I saw, I, it took me to get to door number five. And when I got to door number five, I was actually making money and I'm like, okay, maybe this is worth it. Cause I was losing money. I wasn't losing money, but I had like some money pits that I was just constantly spending money into. And you know, uh, I, a lot of people are like, well, especially door number three, I just lost money on it every year I worked on it. And people are like, why would you continue to spend money if you're losing money on it? And it was just one of those that I was stubborn. I finally gave it up in 2015. I sold off this property. I sold it for $22,000 less than I bought it for. 
Um, but I was stubborn and I just kept going and I started making money on door number five. And, you know, as I added a door or two every year, I started to see the progress. So as I progressed, I, I saw that, Hey, I can actually make money from this. Hey, I don't have to work till I'm 70. I'm going to keep doing this. This is a cool way to connect. And, and that's the other reason that I started um, the frugal gay was to connect with others that are doing it. And Hey, maybe there's ways that I can do this, that I'm not killing myself. Like I have a, a really good friend and she only does FBA. So she's buying stuff and she spends about the same amount of time and energy that I do sourcing merchandise and just shipping it off to Amazon every week. Um, and she's bringing in, you know, it's, it's, different money that she's bringing in and different products, but we're both making money and um, it's both a way for us to be able to stay home and generate income and think outside the box. Yeah, and you, you've spoken to some of your connections and some of the things you do uh, associated with other people. What uh, value do you see in networking? What do you think that people could learn about communicating with other people, brands, companies, uh, to develop themselves and grow their own uh, projects or adventure? I think, I think it's huge if we can work with other brands and, and continue to grow our brand with their brand and we can both be beneficial. Uh, the connections that I made last year at um, FinCon when I went were, you know, 10 of the podcasts that I did over the past year were because, you know, I was at this certain spot and I met this person and then I, you know, that was how I made connections, had good conversations, networked with people that were in the personal finance space who were doing similar things. And um, I think it's super important, you know, even if you don't get a brand partnership out of it or a sponsorship, to have that FaceTime with that comp, you know, I was just booking um, pro sessions for FinCon, which is coming up, and I picked all the companies that I'm already using because I, I use their product, I believe in their product, and I just want to have a conversation. And if nothing comes out of it, at least I got to talk with someone high up in that company and, you know, say, hey, I use this product, I, I've made money on it, I, I don't like this product, um, or whatever it is I'm going to say to them, and, and it's important to you know, be able to do that. And if you don't network, it's not going to happen. If you, you know, you have to get outside your comfort to be able to grow your brand and to, uh, I met another real estate investor uh, through FinCon last year and just some of the things I've learned from how she's automated and she hasn't been in a lot of her doors, um, but the systems that she has in place are awesome. And I would not be doing those if I had not met her and networked. Yeah, I think, so, just personal background, I had left uh, the military in April of this year, and th I want to say six days after I left, I was at Mill Money Con, organized by Lacey Lankford, and that was up in Raleigh, uh, North Carolina, or either Raleigh, yeah, I think Cary, North Carolina, actually. Um, but the, the whole idea was like, if I can get my foot in the door with all of these people in the finance industry, it's a better start than what I would have just leaving the military and playing on LinkedIn for hours. Um, all of it really started on Instagram. I think social media is a huge tool for people to kind of 
spread their wings and understand what other people are doing in a space that they're interested in. Um, this is going to be my first FenCon, so uh, some familiar faces, but definitely looking forward to making a lot of new connections. I, I made a post, and t it took like 22 minutes for me to have 11 new people to talk to, and was everybody smart. was, I was like, okay, I could, I could put in a little bit of work before I leave for Florida, um, and then if it does something, great, if not, also great, I, I've learned either way, um, but giving myself six hours of extra work, I don't think is as difficult as it could be. Um, and some of the things that you spoke about were like, you know, I'm in I'm in a job I might not necessarily like right now, but the money I'm putting away, because I mean, if there's one word that my wife would use to describe me, it, it's right in your title. It's frugal. Um, she she doesn't like to um, hold money as tightly as I do. I pretty much white knuckle any money that comes in until I need to spend it. The the amount of knowledge that I've picked up in the last four or five months versus where I was when, you know, just leaving my first like real salary job, it, it was a huge eye opener. And I had one episode of my podcast when I went to Mill Money Con in April. And now we're working on like 22, 23 episodes. And all of those are conversations where I'm across the table from somebody or I'm talking about a subject that I haven't talked about before. So all of it's a learning experience. I think it's very valuable to hear what other people have to say or even uh, just enough digging online can really open your eyes to new opportunities and new uh, topics that you might not have thought about. So one of the things I would like to discuss like what did you, what, what did you see that you might not have seen elsewhere uh, in your previous experiences? Being around others that are doing exactly what I'm doing was why I wanted to go do it. I had heard of it. I had, I put it on a, my goal list last year in um, 2021. Uh, it had gotten canceled or all online in 2020. So. I made a point to go and do this because it's, I wanted to be around other people that are interested in this, that have found creative ways that they're not, you know, they're not at a job that's making them a million dollars a year. And they found ways to finance job deals. They found ways to, you know, pay off debt. Um, I just, that was the um, motivation to go. And last year I found a great group um, I heard some great conversations. I went to some great talks that motivated me. I got to talk with some sponsors that I really enjoy and, and like I said, I work with. And um, I felt last year when I had done the math, I, I drove down, it was in Austin last year, and I think my total investment on it for the hotel and everything was just shy of like 900 bucks. I felt that it was $900 well spent and that's why I've, I've rebooked. Um, and I'll go this year and hopefully network because every podcast or every person that I interact with regularly, I met there or we interacted there and we swapped cards and it was just, it was beneficial 
to me and my brand. And over the past year, I think maybe when I went last year, I had like 2,000 followers on, on Twitter. And now I know I'm above 20,000 on Twitter. And I know if I didn't have support from those people that I met there, I wouldn't be where I am right now. Yeah, I definitely agree. Like some of the things that I've learned and some of the people that I've talked to have then furthered me on to meeting other people. Like it, it has developed into such a strong network and I, I've always been um, really supportive of anybody that I meet that has similar goals and I've always been really curious of people that have accomplished it in a different way that I might have might not have ever thought of. Um, like talking to people from every walk of what I'm interested in, whether it's business ownership, entrepreneurship, uh, like doing just quick real estate, or maybe they figured a better way to deal with teenagers because I'm still trying to like, um, you know, being 23 and having a 17 year old in the house, that's a different adventure than what I thought I'd be doing. Um, but I think there's a lot to be said for just the genuine effort that everybody put into uh, these conferences and, and the network of people that I've met, both from Mill Money Con and FenCon, I think is going to be more than enough of a boost in like seeing them succeed is almost that driving factor. It's like, oh, well, they're, they're taking the hell off. They're not slowing down. It lights a fire under me to also go and produce at least some effort towards you know not being in a nine to five at 50 or whatever age that we have discussed um so overall one of the things that i think is important is understanding an audience i know that specifically for me it's mostly like i, I kind of reach towards 18 to 35 it's an audience that I live in um, so I feel like there's some level of understanding there um, do you find any specific like connections between um, like finance and personal finance and like an LGBT audience or like how, how did that come about and how did you kind of find that so i found the debt free guys which is another lgbt um personal finance and i networked with them they went to uh fincon they encouraged me to go when i went last year and um i think it's a it's a little niche space and a lot in my lgbtq community do not hit financial independence and work until they're you know in their 60s and 70s and I just, it was important to me to show others in my community that it is possible. Um, it, I am not an overnight success. It took me 18 years of buying ugly houses and selling bras and purses on eBay. Um, but I wanted to really share and show, and as I do these podcasts, I'll, I'll get DMs from people that are like, it's amazing to have someone else in the community doing this, and you're just not doing it as quietly as I am. Um, so I wanted others to see that they can do it. And, and, you know, my audience, I held off for so long. People want me to 
push affiliate links and push certain products. And I, for the longest time up until May, had nothing that I was selling. I was just tweeting what I'm doing. And that was important to me too, because as my brand grew, I didn't want to be shoveling, you know, $10 courses down people's throats and uh, that. Um, I do have the the free coaching, which I started because of the amount of DMs. And um, I do a free intro session on them. And I do that just to kind of, I don't want, I'm, I did not start this in order to make money. I started this as I'm leaving my nine to five. I want to have something to do when I'm not doing my nine to five. And, and it's grown into a side hustle business. Um, but my goal when I started this was to show others, you can do this. And there are others doing this. And, you know, if I didn't know others were doing this, I probably would have stopped going, but I found bigger pockets and I, I went on the web forum and that's, you know, I found out, I figured out how to finance deals and how to um, fix properties quickly and get top rents. So I think it's important. And if you have someone else out there representing you um, and showing you, hey, it is possible. And hey, I worked at a movie theater. I did not make a lot of money. It hopefully is motivation to show that you can do this. And that's why I, I started doing what I'm doing. Yeah, I, I can't speak enough on how important it is to have that relatability and um, beyond just relatability having an audience that cares about the same things that care that you care about and then building upon that with experience and credibility like you said you've been you've been in a place where you weren't so financially confident and you weren't so um, knowledgeable on the things that you've built yourself into and having someone walk you along some of the same paths that they've already traveled is extremely important and being able to relate to them along that path is also like it it just adds on and compounds into something that's really great um and maybe I don't relate to every person that I'm trying to talk to in 18 to 35 because there are people older than me and who have experienced more and done more. But I think coming from the idea of like, for me, it was, I left the poorest county in all of Florida and maybe not the best route, but I chose the military first and left that way. And coming out of the military now I'm learning from so many other people who have both been in the military or who have gone through college and then they start a business and they leave college before their degrees are done I I think all of those things are super interesting Um, and people who have come from the same background as me or a similar background it definitely spurred me to do my not necessarily my story, but like put myself out there as an example of, hey, I don't have all the answers, but if I can talk to people and learn from people, that's super important to me. And then whatever I can do to build myself, like I've talked to so many business owners because I'm trying to start my own business. I've talked to so many podcasters because I'm trying to make sure this podcast means something to me. And hopefully one day to an audience. I don't think we're quite there. I got like seven people, but um, I, I saw one of your 
one of your guests was David, um, military. Yeah, uh, Dave Pierre. So yeah, he 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 did one of my favorite interviews uh, on Bigger Pockets Money. I did it with him and Mindy, and um, I think that you. Um, it it was just such one of those conversations where you know, an hour flew by, you didn't even know that you were having a conversation. Um, and I think that um, even just from doing that, that interview when I did it with him a few months ago, it takes a while to, to get your feet wet and, and grow. But the ones that keep going are the ones that, you know, it, it might not hit right away. And I work with another podcaster every week. We do a weekly spaces on, and she does the Adulting is Easy podcast. And she's been at it for two years. And like in the last six months, her graph has gone like crazy all of a sudden for no real reason. We don't know what it is. Nothing's changed and and just certain guests. But it's the ones that stick with it that that really, um, you know, it goes fast until it goes or I'm sorry, it goes slow until it goes fast. And that was the thing with my Twitter. I was pumping out the same stuff I'm pumping out today a year ago, but it, it takes a while for it to to get your feet wet and get, get your core audience and, and connect right. with those that, that see the value in it. And, and I think once you kind of do get that traction, that imposter syndrome will kick in. Um, but one of the things I always talk about is like, we live in a world that is so hyper-connected that we're often exposed to like things we don't need to see yet, which is like, oh, here's this hyper successful, like they started out of a garage and a year and a half later they were on some of the biggest news networks that you hear about and see every day. Social media allows you to like witness this like instant success or this already successful formula and then you compare yourself against it. I think it's super important to realize like not everything is going to happen overnight. And especially for people like me where it's like I, I choose the hard paths on purpose. It's like I see a wall and I run my head into it until it breaks. Um, <laughs> like I, I think it's so important. And maybe that's why mine has taken off a little bit. But when I'm genuine and I tell people, hey, I bought this house when I was 22 years old and I lost $22,000 on it. Don't just buy a house to buy a house. Because people love to say, I bought this many doors and I did this. I lost a lot. Of money. I've lost money all along the way. You know, I've made some bad investments. I've, I've invested in things that I didn't fully understand, and that house was one of them. And I think when you give that realistic, you know, hey, because you're right, you have it on social media, and you have people, you know, I was in a garage, and now I'm a millionaire, and I have this many doors, and doing this, and doing this, it paints unrealistic pictures. So I'm also big on just being honest along the way and genuine. And, and that's why I like to respond to DMs at the end of the night because I'm trying to genuinely, you know, hey, this is what worked for me. I'll have people, I have one that she, she'll send me messages while she's shopping and she's like, would you like to try this on, or would you do this on eBay? Would you spend your money on it? And I'll give her my honest opinion. Yes, maybe I'll try that or no, I wouldn't try it. Because um, I want to see others, not only in my community, succeed and not live paycheck to paycheck because that sucks. And that's, you know another goal so i get what you're saying with the um the social media glam and um i hope that i try and show you the realistic side of it because there's days like just yesterday on, on my twitter i was tweeting about having to move my i 
I spent all this money setting up a short-term rental and it was not going to work as a short-term rental. So I had a U-Haul over there and I got all the furniture out of there and had to move it to another property. Um, and I think that those, if you share your wins and your losses, you're going to get an audience that truly believes you and doesn't just think that you're Photoshopping your life away on, uh, on social media. Yeah. And I think a lot of it, like, even if it's not happening right away, there's, there's this element of like, you have to believe in what you're doing and you have to have confidence in what you're doing. Um, and, and that's not easy for everybody, especially not in like this weird world where we're trying to educate people on finance or like teach people better ways to build a business or whatever it might be. A lot of the talk around money is very nervous and kind of hidden away. It's one of those things that we don't talk about at a, at a bar. When you're getting your drinks, you don't talk about God, politics, or money, or sex. And that's one of the things that I like to highlight, where it's like, maybe the conversation doesn't have to be so difficult around money. Maybe people like myself, or, or any of my guests, can just come on and sit here for an hour, 30 minutes, however long, and, you know, we're just talking. That, that's what it is. And if I could be that way with everybody about finance, I think we'd have a much less difficult conversation to, uh, to tackle. One day, hopefully, that's, that's kind of why I'm here, is to just have an easier conversation around money and be realistic about it. I, uh, the friend that I was telling you about that was messaging me that she's broke, I said to her in a message today, I said, let's do this, let's do this with the money and we're paying bills. And then I said, and I think it's really important that you tell your five kids, she has five kids, which are 14 to, to four, that you tell them that you're broke so they understand how to manage their money. And this is, you know, when you set unrealistic expectations and try and avoid it, it just balloons out of control. And she messaged right back and she like, yes, I should. So they understand, you know, I'm busting my ass and this is what we're doing. To, to pay our bills and yeah we can't do that fun thing this weekend and this is why um, so I think that that aspect is super important and so many parents avoid it like the plague so the more that you put honest information out there and it's not to scare them oh we're broke it's more so they understand you know this is where our money's going this week and, and next week we'll go and we'll do this fun activity but this week we're we're staying at home we're going to the library and we're hanging out and that's something that gets skipped over often I, I think that's great that you bring it up because er, earlier this morning I recorded with Rachel and one of the things that we talked about she spoke on how she has five kids and how she's taught them like okay you're around the age where you're going to start to understand how money works right and she said like sixth grade or it, it can really start at any age, but she started turning over some of the responsibilities that she was already going to spend money on her kids. Right. So whether it's a budget for food, back to school clothes, uh, toys, games, whatever was going to be spent on the kids would incrementally be turned over to them so that they could see how much money was coming in for that specific uh, portion of the income and then if they handle it well they gain additional responsibility and then teaching kids responsibility with money isn't such a hard conversation 
if they're the ones handling it day in, day out. Um, not necessarily handing your kid, like, ten grand because they're going to go, like, <laughs> they're going to go buy, like, whatever they want. Maybe a little bit slower, but still, it's easier for children and young adults to make mistakes early on. Like, you talk about being 22 and losing $22,000. That's not the first $22,000 you're ever going to make, but it would have been easier for you maybe at like 17 to lose whatever relative portion of your income that would have been then. Um, but I, I don't think any mistake is permanent in the way that there's always an opportunity to build back wealth. I, I've been in situations where, you know, I, I didn't know if I was going to be able to sleep under the same roof that I had started under that day. And understanding the idea that that's not a permanent situation. There, there are ways to work your way out of whether it's debt or uh, not having clothes or like I, I'm still wearing socks with holes in them right now. Like it, it hasn't changed dramatically. But the idea that I bought a house last year in what everybody was calling the worst housing market you said you got five doors added under your portfolio like nothing's impossible and I think every path that you try to break fresh ground on is going to be very difficult in the start so for me it's all about getting that first foot in the door and then leveraging not only your network but Leveraging your history, your knowledge in whatever else it might have been that pushed you into that space that you're in now. It's like, hey, I never want to be a fry cook again. I want to do this, this, and this. And then using that previous history as your reason for going forward can really be beneficial. It's a change in mindset as well as your change in effort and direction. Um... Overall, I think we've covered a lot. I think it has been more than <laughs> more than what I was thinking I was going to discuss at 4 p.m. before I started reaching out to people for a podcast. I appreciate your time. If there's anything you would have liked to have known when you had started, what would that be? And then please let everybody know where they can find you. Sure. I was recently moving into a new property and I found this notebook from 2011 where I was writing down properties and how much they were selling for. And looking at this notebook 10 years later and looking how prices have like ballooned crazy in Dallas, I, I wish that I would have bought more property or figured out ways to buy more property early on. Um, because obviously I can't go and buy a $22,000 house now that's $180,000 house now. So I wish I would have, you know, that's one of those things that I didn't learn the power of leverage and, and how much it can propel your wealth. Um, you can find me on thefrugalgay.com. Uh, you can book a, a free intro session. We can chat about ebay we can chat about real estate we can chat about whatever you'd like and you can um find me super active on twitter and instagram uh at the frugal gay 11 awesome awesome i appreciate your time uh hope you have a good rest of your weekend 
and uh, any any time in the future that you would like to talk or we can kind of host a little fireside chat about where things have gone since we first talked. Um, look forward to seeing you at FenCon. Hope you have a great rest of your weekend, like I said earlier. Thank you for listening to Spare Change Podcast. Please follow, share, and remember, finance knows no limits.